Well, we are finishing up Hebrews chapter 12 today. We would, um, if you're up on Facebook, we ask this question, why would anyone refuse the words of God? Because that's what the warning here is, is about. We can see that many do, but what in the world would cause a believer, one who believes in God, who believes in, in Jesus, what would cause them to reject the words that come from them? So that's what we're going to be taking a look at today. And the word for refuse here in the book of Hebrews is one we're going to be focusing on quite a bit. But let's uh, dig in here with Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape, he refused him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Now before we get into refuse, we want to take a look at this word for speak. The first word for speak is a very common word for speaking. It means to preach, to speak, to say, talk, utter, tell. It's used almost 300 times in the New Testament. That's a lot. This is pretty much the common word that you'll see whenever you see that somebody's speaking, preaching, or saying something. But, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. That's where we see that common word. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth. Now, it's a completely different word there. It's not even close to the to the other one. Laleo is the the first one. And um, not even the letters are anything different. You don't even need a Greek degree to see that. I put the uh, the English translation uh, transliteration in there for you. But not even close here. This word means to utter an oracle, be admonished or warned by God, something that is revealed. The Greeks didn't use this about God, but they would use it if someone from the Greek culture would go and they would seek the oracle as to what they would say. And this is the word that would be used for the response they would get back. And so in the New Testament, they've taken that word that means something uttered, or an admonition given by God. They use it here in the New Testament in this way. <clears throat> We're going to see this used nine different in nine different verses. Some verses have more than one usage of it. But in nine different verses, we're going to see this word, this particular word for speak that talks about something that comes from God, a warning that comes from God, and an admonition that comes from God. And I want to take a look at how this is used in the New Testament, we get a feel for this. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 12, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. That word there, divinely warned, is this particular word. So the wise men who came to Herod were divinely warned in a dream that God had spoken to them, and this is the word that is used. In verse 22, the same chapter, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. This is speaking of Joseph. He was warned by God in a dream. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So here it had been revealed to him. In other words, God had spoken this to him. Acts chapter 10, verse 22, And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed 
by an angel. In other words, the angel came and delivered a message that came from God. And they used this particular word. The King James Version, if you happen to be looking at that, it just says warn. But in the New King James, it's translated divinely instructed. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Antioch. That word there, called, is this same word. Isn't that interesting? doesn't seem like anything came from God on this particular one. But they were called Christians. Might, uh, might wonder if, if any divine inspiration came for that particular name. Almost seems that way for the way that they would use this word. Romans chapter 7 verse 3. So then if while her husband lives she marries another man she will be called an adulteress. Now that's a, that's a, a name, and by using it in this way, it almost seems like God is giving a divine warning on a particular person because of the type of lifestyle that they live. That there's a divine warning on, on that. That's certain, that's why you gotta be careful who you call what, what sort of things, because it can kind of take a, a warning connotation. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5. Who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. Remember, we, we went over this, spent some time on it, that God showed him, here it is, now you make sure you make it just like you saw it. That's basically what God told him. You make sure that just like you saw it, that's what you make. Don't, uh, don't change it. That's a, that's a divine instruction that came there. One more, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteous righteousness, which is according to faith. Now Noah being divinely warned. Now what I want you to see out of all these is not all, you don't always see this, this thing, hey, if you do that, I'm going to get you. That's not always the connotation. Sometimes like with Noah. Noah, this is coming. I don't want you to get involved in what's coming. So here, I'm going to give you some instructions on how to, how to get out of this. To Joseph. Joseph, there's danger if you go this way. I don't want you to face the danger. Just go on over here. You won't face that. To the wise men. Look, guys. If you go back over this way, this is going to happen. And I, I don't want you to go through that. I don't want you to, to go to, to have to interact with Herod. Go on out over this way. And so that's what they did. So it's just a very gentle warning. It wasn't anything, you know, no thunderbolts, no lightning, nothing like that. It's just a, hey, go over this way. There won't be as much problems. And sometimes the divine warning we get from God isn't always a big red light, fireworks, thunder and lightning. Here's what's coming. Stay out of this. It's just a very gentle thing. Don't go over that way. That could be a, that could be a problem. Go over here. This is a safe way over here. And he's just letting us know, but we've got to, we've got to take that. But see, it's a lot more gentle than a lot of times we consider. Now, when you look at this as a as the warning, why would any believer want to bypass this? Why would any believer want to hear something from God that comes as a divine warning and not listen? But we do. So let's take a look at this word here for refuse. Verse 25 again in Hebrews. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. 
For if they did not escape, he refused him who spoke on the earth. Now that word spoke there, we just probably spent some time on the first. I wanted you to see what kind of speaking he was talking about. We're not just talking about normal preaching, just normal talking. We're talking about something that has a divine warning to it. Uh, a um, encouragement to go in a particular way. Divine instruction. Things of this nature. For if they did not escape, who refused him, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Now the word here for refuse means to refuse, to decline, to shun, to avoid, or to make excuses for. It's used in eight verses in the New Testament. Eight different verses have this word being used. And from these verses, we're going to get seven reasons we go about refusing what God has said to do. So let's take a look at the first one. I gave you the references in there. You can just sit back and listen to it and look them up later. But uh, Daryl's probably got them up there on the screen for you if you want to go back there. Luke chapter 14, verse 18. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. And I ask you that you have me excused. Now we all remember where that came from. The uh, banquet invitation. And they all had excuses. But this word here for refuse that we have translated refuse here in Hebrews, is translated excuses here. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. Now when they make an excuse, are they not refusing the invitation? But they're refusing the invitation based on something else. I have this to do. And based on something else, um, I, I put in your blank there, make excuses would be the first reason. The first reason that we reject the things that God says is we make excuses. And whenever I make an excuse, I, I thought about this for just a little while. Uh, I didn't think about it a whole lot, but, you know, a couple of five, ten minutes, something like that, <laughs> pondering on this. I could not come up with a time in my head that you'd make an excuse that you are not saying that something else is more important. I couldn't come up with a time to do it. I couldn't come up with a way or, or how you would bring in an excuse that you're not basically saying something else is more important. In just this particular story, we have the one, one man who had bought some land and he was making an excuse about going and seeing the land or he had some new equipment. He had to go check out the new equipment or uh, I just got married and they're making excuses for all these things. So they're basically saying, your thing I did consider to be important for a time, but then this thing came up and I considered it to be more important. Because the, it seems from the context that in that particular story that the wedding invitation was sent out first and that the excuses came up later. The other things that came up. And so they uh, decided that they were more important. So the first thing we do is we make excuses for why I'm not going to go and do what God said to do. Well, I don't know that that's necessarily for me. Well, I don't know that my God will try and keep me from, from this particular thing. I think he knows I would enjoy that. We make excuses. We come up with for reasons why. Then we're not outright refusing in our mind. I'm not outright refusing what God is saying. I'm just taking what God said and I'm just kind of putting it on hold. Or just, uh, I'll get to that, but I have to do this first. We're making excuses. And so I... It's not that I'm just, God, you're no good. I don't want you any part of my life. It's just, uh, 
I've got something else I got to do over here. I know your word said thou shalt not, but you know, just really, I need to vent some of these things right now and kind of feeling all this stuff coming up on the inside of me. And I know you said not to be angry. I know you not said not to be unforgiving. But I just feel like in this particular situation, this person doesn't, doesn't deserve me to forgive him. We make excuses. Because have we not been warned in the Word of God? Not necessarily, uh, you know, wrath and fire and thunder and all that sort of stuff. Uh, make sure you forgive other people. We've been warned about that. But how many times have we made excuses for not doing it? We, we make excuses. We see in the Word of God not to, not to let anger and wrath be part of our, our life. But how many times have we gotten angry and wrathful? But we feel justified by it. I feel okay. Have we not refused what God said to take on something else? So that's the first thing. We make excuses. Let's get into the second one. Acts chapter 25, verse 11. This is the next time we see this word. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Can you find the word in that sentence? Doesn't jump right out at you, does it? I think I heard it already. Object. I do not object to dying. In other words, I don't refuse that I should die if I did anything deserving of death. If I did something deserving of death, then kill me. But I didn't. So, so he's, he's objecting because I didn't do anything deserving of death. In other words, this is impertinent to me. And that's our second one. Not pertinent. I don't think this pertains to me. I know God said that, but I don't think it pertains to me. I know that's in God's Word. But that's Old Testament. There's one, one way to do it. Well, I'm not under the law anymore. And we'll throw that one out. And we've got all kinds of, of things we could, we could say that makes it that that's not pertinent to me. Well, did God speak it? I mean, there, there, I can't say that I have complete understanding of the Word of God yet. <laughs> I'd like to, but I know that there's a whole lot more I, I keep learning. There have been some, th- some times in the past and even in the present where there's something in the Word of God and it says that I don't have total understanding of it. I'm not sure what... Why does it say to still do that? I mean, is that really important? Is that just something that's under the Old Covenant? Or is that something... We, and I don't have total understanding that it's gone yet or that it... Uh, should be here. Or so I just do what it says. <laughs> I just do what it says. Because I just figure, it's better to do what it says <laughs> than, than to not do it. And, um, you know, if I get revelation on it, it says, all right, we don't need to do that anymore. Then uh, then that's great. You know, Peter, he got revelation. Bacon's okay. Glory's like, gone. <laughs> now we can all go out and have a bacon burger. And... Uh, all those other th- wonderful things that they do with bacon, though they do some crazy things with, with bacon. Sure, bacon is not, in my opinion, I know it's not everybody, bacon does not make everything better. There are some things I think bacon should be far, far away from. And I'm not just talking ice cream. I've seen some things wrapped in bacon, and I say, why in the world did you do that? Just, it's what it is. It's a waste of good bacon. Just fry that bacon up by itself. I'll eat it just by itself. You don't got to team it up with anything in there. They, uh, I know one of the one of the family gatherings we, we do. 
they uh, they like to do these and they do them every year. Uh, they do bacon wrapped scallops. Yeah, but a lot of people like them. I I like scallops. I like bacon. I just think it uh, uh, it kind of lessens both of the experience for me. I just rather have the I'd rather have the scallops, or I would rather have the bacon. Uh, mixing them together, that's just not it's not doing it for me. <laughs> you know? My wife will be over there. She says, "Don't you want some of these scallops?" I mean, he they got big scallops too. They're really good ones. That whole bacon is needed just to get around that sucker. But um, you know, I'd rather take the, the the scallops and put it in with some other things. But anyway, that's just a. Uh, Another thing. He got revelation that bacon was okay. Pork chops, all that sort of stuff, these are all okay. Um, you know, ribs, ribs and, what is that? I guess even the shellfish. You can, uh, made them all, all clean. Well, that's good. But, am I saying that something is not pertinent to me because I don't want it to be? Or because I really have revelation on it? And that's what we have to make sure that we, we are doing because if not, I am refusing what God has said, and we sure don't want to do that. Remember, the word means to refuse, to decline, to shun, to avoid, to make excuses for. Now let's go on to the to the next one. First Timothy four and verse seven. But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourselves toward godliness. Here in 1 Timothy 4, 7, we're going to see this. There's a comparison going on. There's a, see, we, we have the Word of God. But then here with Timothy, there were some uh, old wives' tables, uh, fables that were, they were being passed around. And I'm not sure if Timothy was buying into them or if people in his church were buying into them. But somebody, it seemed like, there was buying into them that Paul had to write about it. He said reject. Now, he's writing this to Timothy. So he's telling Timothy to reject the profane and old wives' fables. Now, there's a lot of times people get hold of these things and, and uh, you know, there's, there's no evidence for them. We just believe that they're so. And, um, you know, I've talked about one before. You know, going out in the wintertime without a coat on is going to get you a cold. So, wife's fable. There's absolutely no truth to it at all. In fact, I've told you before, if you go out in the, out, go out in the cold without a coat on, you'll build up your resistance to the cold. But not everybody wants to believe me, and that's fine. <laughs> and, and if you want to go out there and I've had people who speak that over me you know they see me outside without a coat on you're going to catch cold out there I said I am not I am not going to catch cold out here cold is not caught by cold it's caught by germs <laughs> that's, that's how you catch it but, um, but anyway sometimes these things get in our head and it's hard for us to get it out because we just kind of believed it we believe that that was the that was the case, that was so, and it just you know not even things like that. But we you try and tell people about praying, you know there's some things you can't pray for, and they have a hard time with that. Uh, some people want to put up silent prayer requests. How many were in churches before? Did anybody have any un- any unspoken prayer requests? And you know people would raise their hands all over the place. You know I got unspoken. Okay, all right, we'll pray for. How can you pray for something that you don't know what it is? I love Brother Hagin's uh, thing when he would, had somebody come on up and she says, a uh, lady wanted prayer and, and she goes, all right, well, what do you want prayer for? Well, do I have to tell you? That's what she said. <laughs> do I have to tell you? And he says, well, I'm not going to pray and if you don't. Oh, all right. So she went ahead and told him 
and I didn't, I don't remember what it was. It was a completely unscriptural prayer request, and and um, he cleared her up on some of the things in the Word of God and what it said about it, and took care of that right there. But <laughs> but sometimes we get these these things, and they just got in our head. There's there's nothing in Scripture about it. Praying for the sick. A lot of times praying for the sick to, to a lot of people, I know not to you folks here, but to a, to a lot of people praying for the sick means, oh God, please heal them. That's what they, that's what they think praying for the sick is. It never happened, not a single time in the Word of God. Not a single time does it happen in the Word of God. No one ever prays to God for sick people. They pray over them, they lay hands on them, they speak to the disease. That's what they do every time. Never, not ever a single time does Jesus ever say, dear God, heal this person. He doesn't. He speaks to it. He spoke to the fever that, that Peter's mother-in-law had. That's what the, the Word of God tells him. He spoke to the fever. He did not speak to God. He spoke to the fever. He had dead bodies. He spoke to the dead bodies. When he called Lazarus out, does he say anything, dear God? Please raise him up. No, he did pray beforehand, but look at the prayer that he prayed. Father God, I thank you that you hear me always. <laughs> And he's just having a conversation with God. And then after the conversation with God, not, not a single mention of Lazarus in that prayer. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out. But you see, you can show people that time and time and time again in the Word of God. They'll still go with what, the, what they've been told. What they've uh, always believed. It was a brother, Keith Moore. He was uh, teaching someplace. And some lady came up to him in the meeting. Uh, after the meeting. And he was teaching on something. And it was uh, uh, totally contrary to her doctrine. And he says, well, what scripture don't you believe? (laughs) uh, Well, she she said, well, the song says. (laughs) And she quoted the song. He's quoting the word. She's quoting the song. (laughs) But see, that got in her head. Now, not all songs are, are, are inspired by God. And you have to be careful of that. But you see, sometimes we think that it's, it's, um, it, well, it's just an old, old wives table. It's just something to, it's a fable. It's not based on the Word of God. And what God would say to us goes against what we think and thereby, uh, we, we can't do it. I feel, I feel bad for the people. Only a little bit. <laughs> Only a little bit bad for them. But, uh, and if anybody here has one of these things, I, you know, that's fine. You get what you want. But I feel bad for the people who buy the electric cars. Uh, thinking that they're going to... Because people have sold them that you're going to save the environment. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you, you won't. I, what they don't tell you about... And I learned this... Because when they first came out with these things, these electric car, the cars, the combo things, you know, gas and electric, I saw some of the technology in there and I was excited. I thought, oh, this sounds neat. I, I just like all the stuff they were doing. But... It, it didn't take me long to do research on it, and I found out that you had to buy new batteries for it every five or six years. Now, this is a while back. I don't know if it's what it's changed to now, uh, but every five or six years, you got to be buying a new new batteries batteries for it, and that was uh, in uh, thousands of dollars for those batteries. So, how much gas did you save with, with all that? But uh, what they, what I didn't know then, which I know now, is the uh, environmental impact of those batteries is huge. It is ext- those batteries are extremely harsh on our environment. Uh, disposal of them is is uh, is incredible. I don't know if you all know this, but uh, I think it's uh, 
cobalt is one of the main ingredients for these batteries for the cars. And the, to mine them, they're doing it, they mine it in these third world countries for which they use child labor, underage child labor, for which go down in the mines and breathe the fumes and most of them die young. They're forced to do it. They're down in the earth mining this, this stuff out because that's what you have to do. Um, and that way it doesn't cost the, the manufacturers a whole lot of money. But there's a whole lot more things that go on with that that they just don't tell you, but they're driving around to think that they're helping the environment. And if you like the high concept of electric car, and I tell you, I, I liked it at first. I thought this was really cool. I liked all the stuff. You know, you brake, and it actually converts the energy into something else. And I thought, man, this is neat. And I just, I, I loved all the technology to the, to the stuff. But um, they don't tell you all the, all the truth that's there. There's, there's other things that are going. Now, if you like an electric car, go get one. That's fine. I'm going to drive around my big gas-hungry truck and chew up gas all over the place. I'll make up for your, what you're not doing. <laughs> what, what, they, what they don't tell you is how, where do they get the electricity that runs your, that car? They get it from coal and they get it from oil. They don't tell you that most of the time, though. But that's where they get the electricity. Most of our electricity comes from fossil fuels. It doesn't come from nuclear. It doesn't come from wind. And it doesn't come from, um, doesn't come from water. Uh, I mean, all these things are, are, are nice. But I, the, these people who preach environmentalism, the, the impact, the environmental impact of a wind farm is tremendous. Because you have to strip the ground of everything that it was growing there. And all the animals that could inhabit it are, are gone. Not to mention all the birds that die every year out of these things. And uh, some of them are rare birds. Uh, but the, the, they have no, no um, forgiveness for what kind of bird flies through it, whichever one does. It gets tapped up. And the people around them, uh, the noise bothers them. Keeps them up at night. Has all kinds of other health effects on them. The solar ones. Uh, the cost on those on the environment is huge. It sounds neat. Pull stuff from the air. and just. Uh, but the, the cost... Is, is high. It's very, very high for all these things, but they don't tell you all the cost of these things. Um, if you want to take solar panels and put them up on your, on the, you know, roof of your, um, house, well, you're not taking away anything that's, that's not already taken away. But when you go out and you take acres of land and turn it all into solar fields, this has an impact. Uh, I've even heard that some of the, uh, intensity of the, the sun rays that get reflected have a negative impact on, on birds and other things that are, that are flying around. But, and it's, it's just odd that the people who claim to be champions for the environment are also champions for these things that uh, destroy the environment. So um, don't, don't pay attention to, to some of these things. There's some research on you. There's plenty out there you can find out. But you try and tell some people, some people, and if, if any of you have an electric car, you know, I don't know who's got what kind of car. If you have an electric car, I don't, I don't, I don't look and just say, oh, you polluter. I just think, you got the car that you want. Glory to God. Go for it. Get the car that you want. My car, I put gas in it and goes. <laughs> my, my car takes a lot of gas. It gets 14 miles to the gallon. <laughs> yes, sir. If you get a car like mine, though, you don't get it because it, it's it's, uh, uh, it has a good economy. That's not the idea of that. The idea of that is to haul stuff and do work. <laughs> That's what it does. It all stuff and it does work. But anyway, that's what he talks to them about here. <clears throat> but reject profane and old wives' fables. 
This is comparison. Put that in your blank. This, this is comparison. I take what is in the Word of God and I compare it to what I think. I compare it to what other people have told me. I compare it to what I believe. And if the Word of God doesn't measure up to that, I reject it. But if Paul is saying, no, don't do that. Reject the fables. Reject the fables. Don't go after them. That's why I bring up the, the thing with the cars. I don't know, I didn't, I don't tell this a whole lot, but way back when they first came out, we were considering getting an escape for my wife. And they had just come out with the first year, uh, partial, a hybrid escape. And, uh, you know, it was partial electric, partially gas. So you could run on gas, but if you had the electric there, you could run on, on that too. And, and we were considering it. And then I found out all that stuff about it. And I says, no, we're not going to be buying that sucker. <laughs> and we just got her a straight up gas one <laughs> and never looked back. That was a lot of years ago because that car, I think we've, uh, she's had a couple of other cars since then. So that was a, that was a while. Anyway, let's go on to the next one. First Timothy 5 verse 11. But refuse the younger widows for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. Basically, put this in your blank for you. Doesn't meet a standard. Paul is saying, he had just, just taught on a standard of what a widow would be. This is what a widow, if you're going to uh, take one of those widows and do things this way, this is what they have, this is the standard they have to meet. And he's basically saying here, in this word, but avoid, that's the, our same word here, but avoid foolish and ignorant, I'm sorry, wrong one, uh, verse, <laughs> but refuse the younger widows, refuse there is our word, Refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. So he gives them a list of things, and if they don't meet up with those things, then refuse it. It doesn't meet a standard. Before you accept anything new about the Word of God, somebody wants to teach you something new, it, you should have a standard. You, sh- you should have a, you know, should meet a certain criteria. Uh, Brother Hagin was telling us a, a time one of the visions he had with with uh, with the Lord, the Lord Jesus. And I, I sure hope I have enough guts to do this if it ever happened to me. But um, in, this, in this thing, the Lord was telling him some things about casting out demons from the Word of God. And he told him some things that were new. I'm not going to get into all the details of, of what he told him. But um, he told him some things, and it was new to him. He hadn't, hadn't understood this before. And I think he even mentioned that to him. He says, I don't, I don't know that to be in the Word of God. He says, there's a whole lot in the Word of God that you don't know about yet. <laughs> That's what he told him. <laughs> brother, brother, um, it's in the Brother Higgins book, I Believe in Visions. Yeah, he tells the whole, the whole story in it. But that's what the Lord said to him. Said to him. He says, uh, there's a whole lot in the Bible that you don't know yet. And uh, sometimes we think we know all the stuff in the Word of God and we just get straightened up. No, there's a whole lot more in there we don't know yet. And so he, uh, he, said, uh, he said, well, I'm not going to believe anything unless you give me at least two or three witnesses, because that's, he quoted the Word of God, let every word be established on two or three witnesses. And he says, I'll do better than that, I'll give you four. Now what he noticed was different about the four that the, the Lord Jesus gave him. He said he didn't give him four scriptures. And I had never thought about this until I heard him teach about this. He said he didn't give him four scriptures, he gave him four witnesses. Four different people. One was Paul, one was Jesus, the words of Jesus. One was, um, I, I forget each, each of the different ones, but they, they came from different 
it, it was different authors. It wasn't just uh, four words that Jesus spoke. It was actually one word that Jesus spoke, one word that Paul uh, wrote, uh, something that James wrote, and um, I don't, I'm not sure who the other one was in there. It's been a while since I heard that one. And I, he, didn't, he didn't say that the four witnesses needed to be four different people, but that's how it was. That was just kind of interesting. See, sometimes we'll swallow things a little bit too quick. But be careful. Have a standard. If you're going to believe something new in the Word of God, we, we told you right here in this church, I've told you my standard over and over again. It's taught clearly in the Word of God. It's taught often, and somebody did it. If it doesn't meet that standard, we don't teach it to you. That's the standard we're looking for. So have a standard. And refuse anything that doesn't meet up to that standard. But when it meets that standard, don't refuse it. All right, let's keep on going on here. 2 Timothy 2, verse 23. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. That word there, avoid, is our, our word here for refuse. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Now here on this one, I put in your, your blank, avoid for what it may bring. Avoid for what it may bring. When you hear certain things, just avoid. I don't need to get involved with that. That's just going to bring certain things in here. I don't need those certain things. I don't need that particular uh, stuff going. How do you all know this? If you get your family together, how many of you know that there are certain topics you can get onto that get certain members of the family going? And, and we know, oh, don't bring that up. Uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so is going to be there. We don't want to bring that up when they're there. <laughs> right? We just we know better to, uh, than to avoid that. Well, sometimes we have to do that for, for other things too. Avoid for what it may bring. See, the devil wants to, to get certain things in your life because of what it will bring into your life. Don't do it. But avoid foolish ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife now I didn't have the wisdom of this verse in my life for many years when I was in college I would not miss a good foolish or ignorant dispute I wouldn't miss one in fact I'd probably just start one up <laughs> and, and the thing was in college I could talk anybody under the table with scriptures. I knew them. I knew that Bible better than just... There was not a single student in the college that I could figure out, that I found, that, um, that I knew the scriptures, the new best scriptures better than me. Not a single one. I knew it better than a lot of the teachers did. I don't mean that, you know, just a prideful thing or I just thought. I did. I know from sitting in the class as they taught it, I says, that does not say that. <laughs> this this doesn't doesn't work... And I've told you my history on it. You know, when I was in, in high school, I just read it over and over and over. I carried it with me to school. I'd get to class early. I'd sit there for three minutes before the bell rang and I'd read the Bible. When we had study hall, I'd read the Bible. We have lunch. We get done lunch. I'd go on over to the audiovisual room. They didn't need me for anything. I'd sit down. I'd read the Bible. I got to school early. I read the Bible. I just constantly was reading the Bible. I just read it and read it and read it and read it. And by the time I graduated high school, I had stopped counting how many times I had read it from cover to cover. I, had, uh, I stopped at five. I knew by then I had already covered it five. Many other parts, many more times than that. But beyond that, I just I stopped cutting and I just kept on reading it. And when we got into college, they gave us your, your Bible test. They're, um, there's a, they have a test to see how much you know the Bible. And they would ask you questions like, in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 5, it talks about 
and you'd have to know what it would talk about. You know, it would be very specific questions like this. And um, if you, you, every freshman had to take it. You didn't have any choice. You came into school, you had to take it. If you passed it, you could opt out of your first year of college um, Bible classes, which was old New Testament survey. I guess they figured if you passed it, you knew it enough, you didn't have to go through the, the stuff. So we had a, a freshman class of over 300 students. Out of those 300 students, seven passed. I was the only one who passed it who didn't go to a Christian school. No one else um, uh, had passed it who, who did. But I was the only one who opted out my first year Bible classes. <laughs> Everybody else took them because they, they were easier than the, the ones that were ahead. But I wanted to, to go on ahead, so I avoided that and, and got into some of the other classes. So I'm, I'm in classes my first year with upperclassmen, and I'm the, I'm the only freshman in them. But I qualified for it because of the, because of the test. So, but I, in that place, I mean, I remember many times sitting in the lounge in there and just disputing over stupid stuff. And for some of it, much of it, I think I was wrong on. <laughs> I was disputing. And I was wrong. Now they were right, but they were right for the wrong reasons. And a lot of you know, just in the end times thing. Now, I switched over to their side, but not for the reasons they held them, because their reasons were junk. They were like wise fables, and that's why I rejected them to begin with. But it said avoid foolish and ignorant. I didn't avoid them. I I, I jumped in. I remember the first time I avoided this. I, I finally listened to what was going on, and we were. Uh, I came back from college one time, and we had this uh, uh, youth group, and I was back with the youth group that I had been with. And they got into this big discussion on church membership. And so um, I had absolutely nothing to give in that conversation. I just sat quietly by. They're not used to me sitting quietly by. They're used to me getting involved in the dispute because I don't avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. I get involved with them. And so uh, after a while, I got up and I saw the other guy. We were, we were over there and he, we decided to play Orthello. My first time playing Orthello. It's kind of a fun game. Don't play it very often, but every once in a while, pull it on out and we, we played that game. Um. So we were we were playing, and I saw some glances from some of the people over to where I was because I'm just over here playing. They're having this rip roaring debate over church membership, and so the one of them finally got fed up with it. And they said, "Don't you have an opinion on this?" I said, "Well, what's the Bible say about church membership?" And they said, "Well, it doesn't really mention it." I said, "Well, then I don't have an opinion." <laughs> and I just went home playing the game. But you see, before that would have pulled me in. I said, "I had this." Uh, this verse here, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Now, I can't say that I've avoided all ignorant and foolish disputes at that point from there on out in my life. I still got involved in some other ones, and I still had to keep learning. Oh, that's a foolish and ignorant dispute. Don't get involved with it. And so we had to, they had to keep learning those things, but there are some things you just need to avoid. They're, they're not going to help you. They're not going to help the people that you're, that you're around with either. So, that's the, that's that one. Titus chapter 3 verse 10. It says, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Here's another reason that you refuse some things. Reject it for its end results. Reject it for its end results. There are some things that you've seen go on in the body of Christ and the end results are bad. Just reject the whole thing and get out of it. And um, how many of you remember shepherding? Shepherding movement. Anybody ever heard much about that? Um, 
I know the man who, I don't know him personally, but I was not too far removed from him. I believe his name was Bob Mumford, if I remember correctly. It's been a lot of years since I've seen the, the stuff on that. And they started this movement. It was called Shepherding. In this particular movement, uh, the pastor would basically make decisions uh, for the congregation as to who they would marry, what they would spend their money on, whether they would take a job. Um, pretty much all those decisions were made. You did not make a decision like that without consulting the pastor, and the pastor would, um, you know, um, help you make that decision. But whatever the pastor said, that's what you did. That's the, the shepherding movement. Now, this particular guy, he was being interviewed, and he says, you know, when we started that, we started with good intentions. <clears throat> you know, you can see a lot of people making bad decisions and decisions not, not helping them out. And so that's what they got into it for. But he said it, it became something we didn't intend. And um, it got very abusive, very controlling. And um, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't good. But you look at the end results and you can see, no, nah, this is not something we ought to do. You reject it for its end results. That's, no one had a word of God that we ought to be shepherding the people in the direction that that was going on. Now, shepherding is a term from the Bible, but it was not being used the way the Bible intended it. So here's the, the next reason. Reject for its end results. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 19. <clears throat> and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. So they heard, we, we covered this not too long ago, that the children of Israel, when they heard all this going on at the, at the mount, they, um, they begged, no, don't, don't bring us, we, we don't want to hear that, we don't want to see God, we don't want to be anywhere near it. Um, and basically this one is, I don't measure up. I reject it because I don't measure up. Guys, if, if God spoke something to you to do, then you measure up. Don't reject it because you don't measure up. Uh, I, I just don't see that I'm good enough. I don't see that I'm talented enough. I don't see that I have enough ability. I don't see that I... No, if God called you to it, if God spoke to you about doing it, then you're qualified. You measure up. So these are reasons why rejection is done. He said again in the Word of God. Let's go back over to that. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape, he refused him who spoke on earth. <clears throat> and they refused. Remember when they, when he spoke, they made all kinds of excuses. For, for why they should go back to Egypt. For why they should find a new leader. And we don't know what happened to this Moses guy. We should go on back to Egypt. It was better for us back then. We had all the leeks and onions and garlic that we wanted. I don't know if I'm thinking of food. I'm not thinking of leeks, onions, and garlic. I'm thinking of other things beside that. That's, that's just, that's odd. For they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we escape, shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. This word here, escape, <clears throat> it means to escape or to flee. Some of the places where this is being used is in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, when Joseph was told to flee to Egypt. In chapter 3, verse 7, it says, uh, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Matthew eight thirty-three. Then those who kept them fled, that they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed man when they 
demons went into the pigs. Uh, 10.23, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. That's some of the times it's used in the gospel. It's used a lot more than what I'm giving it to you for. In Acts chapter 7, verse 29, it talks about Moses when he fled to Midian. In 27, verse 30 of Acts, the sailors were trying to flee the ship, which Paul was on, which was, looked like it was going down. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 11, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Flee these things, he says. That's the same word that we have, <clears throat> have therefore, escape. So he says, How much more shall we not escape? How shall we not get away from? You're not going to be able to run away from this. If they didn't run away from it, you're not going to be able to run away from it. Let's read that whole verse again. Verse 25 for us. I can, um, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Don't refuse what God says. Listen to what God says. When God speaks, make sure that those seven reasons that we just showed you, and there's probably more reasons that you have for refusing. I just took this the seven I could get from the times it was used in the Word of God. And that particular word was used in the Word of God. Don't don't refuse the things of God. Refuse the things that are not from God, but don't refuse the things that are from God. Make sure that you take them. You may not like them, but take them. They're for your, they're for your benefit. They're for your help. Just like when we were growing up, we didn't like vegetables. Most kids don't like vegetables. But... Um, but they're good for you. And when you got grown up and you got to be adult, you, you tolerated vegetables a lot more. Sometimes I might even say that you like them. <laughs> Believe it or not, there are some vegetables that I do like. A couple. My wife made a, made a dish the other night. And uh, the vegetable dish was actually something I went back on seconds for. It was um, uh, some, some type of a broccoli. But, you know, I have, I have come to the realization that I am not an onion guy, but I love shallots. They're just a whole lot better. So this this is broccoli with shallots and some other stuff in there. And uh, just just good flavor. So I ate lots of it. In fact, I went for more and she said, uh, I asked her, I said, you want any more of this? She says, no, you can have it. So I did. <laughs> but you see, when you're, when you're young, growing up, you have to be forced to do those things that are, are good for you. When you're older... And then we decide, no, I may not like that, but I'll go ahead and, and take it. I don't do that with Brussels sprouts. I don't care how good they are for you. Yeah, wrap them in bacon. <laughs> wrap them in bacon. There you go. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I guess they got the right shape. <clears throat> so verse, verse 26. Talking about the voice of God. Whose voice then shook the earth. In the time of Moses at Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I, wish I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. So he's going to speak again. And this time it's not just the earth that's going to be, be quaking. Heaven. I don't think that necessarily means the heaven. I think it means the heaven above the earth. What's being spoken about here. Um, just because it's a prophecy. This prophecy comes out of Haggai. In um, 
verse 6 and 7, we see the first part. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, and I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. If you are a, uh, a person who enjoys Handel's Messiah, you have every single one of those verse, uh, words memorized. I have every single one. I hear the whole, the whole tune in my head every time I, every time I hear that. Further on down in Haggai, in uh, tw- verse 21, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will shake heaven and earth. This is the, what is being quoted here. Go back to verse 26 in Hebrews. Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Verse 27, now this you once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. So what he's saying is this. He says, the prophecy is I'm going to do it once more, which means after this, there won't be any shaking needed. This is going to be all the shaking that's going to be needed because everything that could be shook will be shook. And everything that's going to be left isn't going to be shook anymore. That's why he's saying, he said, yet once more. Because there's only one more time he's got to do this. He said before he, he spoke and he shook Mount Sinai and the things around there. But he's going to be speaking again and the entire earth is going to shake. And the heaven above. He's going to be doing some shaking. And we look in the book of Revelation and we see a whole lot of that shaking that's going on. So much so that a big earthquake is going to come and split the Mount of Olives in two. Mm. We saw all the things that are being shaken out of heaven. So once more is all that needs to be done. Verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We are going to be receiving a kingdom. This new kingdom can't be shaken. These The kingdoms around here, they can be shaken. But this kingdom of God that's coming, it will not be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So there is a coming unshakable kingdom. And in verse 29, he ends it this way. For our God is a consuming fire. Now that may not bring a whole lot of comfort to you. (laughs) I put this in your outline for you. The only thing, thing that fears fire is that which is consumed by fire. If it's not consumed by fire, it doesn't bother you. Just like if you, you know, if you're at the house and water spills, you're not concerned if it falls on something that's not bothered by water. But if you have something that's bothered by water, well, then you get concerned. You know, if you're wearing some kind of uh, material that doesn't like water and water spills on the table, you move. Get out of the way. But if you've got some kind of material on and it's not affected by water, maybe it's even water repellent, doesn't make you do anything. That's what we're supposed to be. God is a consuming fire. But what is of the Spirit won't be consumed. It'll be purified. There's no reason to fear it. The only thing that fears fire is that which is consumed by fire. So listen to what God speaks to us through when we give you some things here. We've, we've, I think it was just on Sunday we gave you some of the things, some of the ways that God speaks to you. But don't reject these. When God speaks to you through His Word, listen. When He speaks to you through His Spirit, 
Listen, don't reject it. When he speaks to you through other believers, listen, don't reject it. That's one of the things the devil loves to get inside of Christians. You don't need to be in church. And you, you hear this phrase all the time, I don't like organized religion. Well, you probably don't like this organized religion either. That's no, that's no good. And the devil will feed people. The, you don't need other people. You can sit at home. You can do, <clears throat> do all these things. But the Word of God is very clear. Don't forsake it. The Word of God is very clear. There needs to be churches and pastors and people need to get involved. And each one has a role. Each one has, uh, has something to do. It's important. Listen to what God speaks through the Word, through His Spirit, through other believers. Other believers are supposed to be operating in the area of prophecy. And we talked about that some, some Sundays ago. Prophecy in that it's encouraging. It's edifying. It's, uh, these are not predictive. We're not all supposed to go around and predict where their future is going to be and, and tell them about things that are going on in the past. That's not prophecy. That's getting into other things, other gifts of the Spirit. But the simple gift of prophecy, we ought to be able to go on around and speak words of encouragement. Instead, most people are going around speaking words of complaint. Speaking words of griping. Unrest. Unsettled. Dissatisfaction. It's the opposite of prophecy. Don't be doing that. Don't get involved in speaking anti-prophecy. Because how can the same spring have both good and bad water? We talked about that a few Sundays ago. So listen to what God speaks to us through His Word, His Spirit, other believers, the fivefold gifts, dreams and visions you can put in there too because God, just in the examples we saw here, He spoke in dreams and visions. You see, if, if you do that, if you listen to what God speaks to us through these things, the fire, we shall not fear. We won't fear the fire. In fact, we'll relish it. Go ahead, bring that fire on because I know the stuff that I did is going right on through. I did some pure works and I got some gold in me and that gold loves the fire and we'll, we'll look forward to it. A lot of times though Christians are afraid of the fire. They're afraid of a God of fire and we don't need to be because of the way that God made us and what God has done for us. He says here, don't refuse. Don't, don't do like the, the Israelites did. Don't refuse to hear. Listen. God is going to speak to us. He's going to give us some warnings. It's not always a fire and brimstone type of a warning. Sometimes it's just, hey, going over this way. But listen to it. Pay attention to it. Don't refuse. Heed that, heed that warning. Go the direction He says to go. Because the direction He's taking us, we won't fear a God of fire. But I know that that fire will purify everything so that when we get on the other side, that kingdom is going to be pure. And I look forward to it. Father, we thank you that we do serve a God of fire. That that fire will purge and cleanse everything that goes over into the next kingdom. And we thank you for it. We look forward to that kingdom that is to come. Serving with you. You're training us up, getting us ready for what is, what is coming. We look forward to serving with you. We thank you for it. We have ears, Father, that are ready to hear. We won't reject, we won't refuse the things that are spoken to us. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name.
Amen.